Welcome back to the Super Sapiens podcast, where we explore Super Sapiens metrics, the app features and experience, and how Super Sapiens around the world are driving the next step in human performance evolution. Homo Sapiens, meet Super Sapiens. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to episode six of the Super Sapiens podcast. I'm your host, Zylan Frenek. With me is my co-host, Dr. David Lipman. David is the Director of Applied Science and Content at Super Sapiens. He's, as mentioned, a doctor, an exercise physiologist, and an ultra-marathon runner himself. David's career has been spent coaching endurance athletes and team sports athletes on their journey to a higher performance. And today, David is actually my guest as we dig into race day nutrition. Today's episode is all about designing a race day fueling strategy. David, how are you today? Very well, thanks, Sam. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm excited to get into this topic. Uh, I've been in my off-season, but racing is creeping up and up and up and coming closer, and it's time for me to start thinking about uh, fueling for my upcoming triathlon and, and marathon again. Um, before we get started, there was a little caveat that you wanted to add. Yeah, just for some context around uh, this conversation and, and how I'm approaching it, obviously I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian. I'm very nutrition interested, but those are not my qualifications. I'm obviously a doctor, but I'm definitely not you know, your doctor. So uh, this is more for information and general information, trying to help users to dial things in and really use Super Sapiens better rather than being, you know, proclaiming myself as an expert. And, you know, fundamentally my view comes from my background, which is, I've prepped myself, I've prepped a few athletes I've worked with, uh, and I've done some strength and conditioning, I'm endurance sport minded. So that's sort of the lens I view things through. So I may have some different thoughts, views than, than perhaps your nutritionist. And definitely if you're working with someone, you know, take their word, not mine, but I'm hoping to add to that and hoping that we can add to people's experience and really help them go from, you know, science-based science informed as a starting point to an n of one experiment where they can really dial things in and and optimize things for themselves well i must say you are my personal whatsapp doctor and coach and i appreciate that (laughs) um let's start at the beginning i guess how do you design a fueling plan i mean that's a that's a very big question but uh i guess the starting point as i mentioned should be science so Thankfully, we've got some really good research on uh, what people should eat in the days prior to a race or an event. I'm going to try and be as general as possible. So obviously, there's a big bent of endurance in this, but this hoping to keep this relevant for team sports as well. So when you're starting off, you start from the, the guidelines as a starting point. So that should be, what am I looking at the day or two prior, which will you know inform things. And then it's morning of, and then it's during the race. So those are the categories you look at. Most of our of the research is really about carbohydrates and how much to eat when. And that really is because they are what fuels higher intensity activity. We'll never really be limited by fat and protein isn't as big a factor during activity. It's more of a factor post-activity. So really a lot of this boils down to carbohydrates when we talk about the macronutrients. There is some concern or things to be thought of in terms of gastrointestinal distress 
in endurance events for fiber. So there'll, there'll be advice to limit fiber perhaps in the, in the last 24 to 48 hours, which is very reasonable as well. I've heard I've heard pro triathletes talk about that a lot. They they will change their their pastas, their breads, their rice to white rice, white pastas forty eight hours before the race. So is that the reason? Yeah, that is the reason. I mean, the other thing will be the intake required when you're truly carbohydrate loading is significant. A lot of people say, "Oh yeah, I love carbohydrate loading." Generally, I think those people are probably not eating enough carbohydrates if you like it. It's almost unpleasant when you're talking about the volumes you need to eat. Um, for those who are interested, you can look at what I ate prior to the Boston Marathon in, in the Boston Marathon blog that is up and it's it's significant. Uh, you know, things like a kilogram of pasta the day prior. And, and look, I'm heavy for an endurance athlete, but still, that's a lot. And so if you're going to add a bunch of uh, you know, starchy vegetables to that or fibrous foods, it gets very unpleasant uh, in terms of just the amount you need to eat. That's not considering then the potential for GI upset on race day. So that's kind of the starting point, as we said. So just quickly, that's the, how we focus. The, the blog you mentioned is on blog.supersapiens.com. Very interesting blog in what David Carbo loaded with in running a new PB casually at Boston Marathon. Yeah, it was a good day. Um, so once we've got our guidelines uh, sorted out, we then need to work out, again, we'll, we'll talk about during exercise specifically because I think that's where more people are interested. I think most people have got their pre-race uh, pre-race nutrition sorted out. And we have a couple of blogs on that as well of you know when you should eat and how much at that time is, is very science-based. So the earlier you eat, the more you can you can have. So then when you get to during, it's, okay, I have to hit this number of carbohydrates. And the usually the numbers are for longer events, so two and a half hours plus, they talk about 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrates. And they talk about mixing that uh, between uh, multiple types of carbohydrate, not just glucose or just fructose. So a mix of those. Uh, there's been some more recent research talking about perhaps 120 grams for some situations and we're seeing more and more athletes do this especially in the long distance triathlon areas so that's your dose that you've then worked out and that's usually per hour it's not based on body weight and then obviously for shorter races where fuel becomes less of a limiting factor those numbers change and and you know you can google this and there's great great resources on it so i'm not going to go specifically into that more about how than the what so now you've got your dose the question is then how to get it in. So what do you want to have to get this? So some people use liquids, some people use you know gels, which are for the most part actually technically a liquid, but we won't get into that. Uh, and then there's solids. So you know these are your three main options. And some of what will dictate this choice is based on how long you're going. So the longer you go, generally the less you want to have purely liquids or gels you sort of start wanting to have solids and where that happens is different for everybody i know people who've run 24 hours on liquids alone but generally people as you get longer probably beyond about six hours people want to start having some solids uh, but that'll vary between them i find that uh, the shorter races they more high intensity so then you know you just want a, a gel that can just go down quick and easy whereas the longer races you're more racing in your zone two zone three so you can chew a bar quite 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 easily but yeah for me on the longer races it's just about variety and not getting bored with with eating the same thing that's a really good point both of those are very good points the first point is when you're racing at a higher intensity there's less blood flow to the gut so uh easier absorbing things like liquids and gels are helpful in that setting that's why they were invented to be honest 
The flavor fatigue you mentioned is real, especially as you get to longer events. And this is something that I think a lot of people who haven't done long events misunderstand or, or don't really appreciate. And it's some of it, look, I can tell you, I can write a book on how to ride a bike, but until you're riding a bike, you don't really get it. So there's a component of that to it. Completely agree. But what I would say to anybody who's planning long stuff, and when I'm saying long, I'm talking about probably anything over about eight hours, maybe maybe six hours, is you're probably going to get sick of what you're having. So bring a variety of stuff that you may not necessarily want. Make sure some of it's not sweet as well, because a lot of people will get really sick of sweet things. And I know like even for me in a marathon, we're talking under three hours, I get sick of sweet stuff by the end of that. At the end of that marathon, I want nothing more sweet for the rest of the day. I want salt, I want bitter, I want everything else. So be weary that that might happen to you in a long event and have plans there. So pretzels, I know Sky Monch talked about grabbing a pretzel during an Ironman uh, in one of the chats we had with her in a blog, uh, potato chips, these things are really helpful in that regards. Simple carbohydrates with some salt. Uh, I know some people use salted potatoes. That's fine as well. There's a really cool paper on using mashed potatoes instead of gels a little while ago, a few years back. So, you know, fundamentally most thing, you know, carbohydrates are fundamentally what you're chasing. So if it comes from a gel or a mashed potato and so be it. Then the next consideration is logistics. How are you going to carry your fuel? Obviously easier when there's less fuel and when you're carrying less of it. So I would love, I actually sent you a WhatsApp yesterday saying I would love to actually run Berlin Marathon in September with fluids and liquid only nutrition rather than gels because I'm actually preferring them at the moment. But logistically, I'm not willing to carry a pack with multiple bottles because I'm not elite. They won't give me drinks tables. So it's either carry your gels or carry your liquids. So... You know, um, logistics are a real part of this. How many, uh, for argument's sake, you know, if you were to go with liquid only, how much liquid would that be for you, depending on how much carbs you want to take in? You are a sub three hour marathon runner. Oh, now I'm going to have to do the math on this. Um, I take, at the moment, I'm taking 75 grams an hour because I, that's my, like, that's based on the gels I use and logistics and those sort of things. I'd like to bump that up if I'm honest, but I can't at the moment. Just it becomes too many gels. That becomes so at the moment that's eight gels that would be for seventy five grams an hour. So that would be under just under four liters, if I'm correct, of liquid. Uh, if I was taking liquid, that'd probably be more like uh, one point five liters. So uh, you know, a lot to be drinking in a marathon. I would be lucky to drink in a marathon. I'd be lucky to drink. 300 milliliters at the moment i mean obviously i'm taking the gels which are, have some fluid to them but yeah so in terms of fluid intake it's it's pretty high and that's a really good point you mentioned which is around fluids and obviously they can hydrate you and that's important and they should be part of your overall nutrition plan and i did mention it's primarily about carbohydrates but i was ignoring hydration so apologies there but they are part of it and, and you do need to consider them and why I say that is because that fluid needs will change based on how hot it is as well. So on cooler days, you need less fluids. On warmer days, you need more fluids. So you need to, if your plan is going to be based on fluids, you need to consider concentrations and or the potential to have extra fluids and what all of this may do in terms of GI comfort. Because, you know, gastrointestinal distress is a key reason people don't finish races, especially longer races. So you need to either... Well, you need to be considering it and you need to be practicing with it and training your gut for it, especially if it's going to be a hot day because you have you know less blood flow to the gut and then you're going to need more fluids. So you need to really consider how those work together and, and how that fits together. Um, now we've got our, we've started with 
from the guidelines, we've decided on a product, so what we're going to use. We've considered the logistics of this, which will inform that decision. Now we're going to need to adjust this. So you've got your, your plan, now how do you adjust? And what I would say is you need to test this. You need to stress test it. This is why B races or race simulations or all of these things are key. So for triathlons, that's like a, it's a brick session and or some, some smaller races that you want to test in. Uh, for marathoners, it'll be your key sessions and how they, you know, work and there's logistics around how you even eat or drink while you're moving at those paces so that's worthwhile considering for team sport athletes this is really about simulating you know this will be in training you would do some game simulations and you would look at the intensity there and, and logistics of eating around that but again during team sports you're fueling during the event is much less of a, a thing they'll often grab a gel maybe if they need it they'll maybe have some gatorade or something like that but it's not going to be significant um, and it might need to be to be honest there's probably some some marginal gains there for them and then the reason you do this is that you're trying to work out if this strategy works for you. And that's fundamentally based on how you feel and your gastrointestinal issues. So if you're feeling better with it and you're not suffering gastrointestinal distress, then it's probably the right way to, to start considering. And then you need to, especially in longer races, consider what's available to you during the race. So we talked a bit about flavor fatigue before. So this is part of it is I know they're going to have potato chips. I'm happy to try that. Okay, cool. So now you know you've got a backup there. You don't have to carry the potato chips. It might be, hey, I know I've got this amount and I know they have this gel on course. So for instance, uh, at Boston, I knew they had the same gels that I had on course. So I knew if I dropped one or if I needed extras, they were they were available to me there. So I was using the same gels. Now, is it recommended is, to try the to try if if the gel is different to what you used to? Is should you practice with the race day the race sponsored gel? Only if you think you're going to use them. So if you're happy to not use them, then that's fine. But if you're going to use them and you haven't practiced with it, whatever that is, uh, I would really consider practicing with it and basing it around i mean you've got a great story about changing something on race day don't you around your nutrition i was trying to exclude that from this episode but i had a feeling it was going to come up me trying something new on my last ironman something i hadn't tried in training and it completely messing up my stomach for the marathon but thanks for bringing up those dark moments for me i just got to keep you honest uh, <laughs> it's a learning it's a learning moment for everybody so nothing new on race day Make sure you've got a bit of a plan there. And some of this, you know, there's some, for me, I've been given, I do so much trail running and it's hard to know what's going to be available. Uh, you know, for a marathon in Mont Blanc, for instance, I knew maybe a week or and a half out what would be available. So for me, a lot of it's about training. I got to take a lot of things, a lot of different stuff, especially when I'm in the mountains to try and, you know, create a level of anti-fragility to that so that I'm not too worried about it. It's not that I can tolerate what they have. It's that I can tolerate most things pretty well. Uh, to be fair, a bunch of coke before I ran down a hill wasn't so great. It wasn't as flat as I would have liked, but I, I was okay. It just wasn't as comfortable as I was hoping. So, uh, yeah. Quick, uh, a quick, quick, a quick few questions based on what you said earlier. I just want to pick up on. You mentioned take simple carbohydrates. Quick, a few examples on what simple carbohydrates are. I mean, the basic building blocks that build up carbohydrates are, are sugars, right? So glucose and fructose. Uh, table sugar is a mixture of those two. Um, you'll see things like maltodextrin, which is multiple glucose model molecules together from memory. Um, basically, any endurance product is going to be simple carbohydrates. Um, so, yeah, it's fundamentally anything that isn't complex. So it's gels, it's liquids, all this stuff is basically just sugar. So complex carbohydrates, are, you know, to contrast for that would be things like um you know potatoes and that sort of stuff 
despite the fact that if you mash them and they become a little bit more simple. So, um, you know, there's nobody racing marathons with mashed potatoes, but there are some people who are racing ultra marathons with them, right? So as you, as your intensity drops and they need to be less simple to digest, then you can move that way. And then I've heard before someone say that most gels, when you take them, you actually have to consume some liquid with it because it's easier um, to absorb that way. Is that correct? So there is, the gastric emptying is funny. So to get the gel through your stomach and into your intestine quicker, I'm going to get this mixed up. My physiology is a long way out of date, but the difference between getting it in the gut, going from stomach to small intestine and then small intestine out, one of those, I think it might be stomach to small intestine, is benefited by carbohydrates and water. From small intestine out is benefited by less less by water, I think, or something like that. There's there's this difference. So it's kind of what you win on the merry-go-round, you lose in the swings, is what I'm saying. There's not a lot of harm to having fluid with the carbohydrates, aside, you know, if it's part of your fluid plan. And what a lot of people will say is it's a little bit easier to take because the gels feel funny in your mouth and it's yuck and, and whatever. So yeah, take some water. If you don't or you can't, I don't think it's going to be a real problem. And what you find is that it's actually some, you can absorb a little bit of carbohydrate across the mucous membranes in your mouth and under your tongue. This is why when people with diabetes are having a low episode, you can actually put some there and they will absorb some carbohydrates and it hits quite quickly. This is one of the reasons people can actually see quite a quick increase in glucose in there uh, from taking a gel perhaps. There are other reasons as well, but this might be one of the reasons. So... Uh, it does change gastric emptying rates and and absorption rates, but I, I can't be can, can't be certain about which directions for both of those. But uh, it's probably a negligible thing. I think preference is more important here, comfort is more important here, and then logistics. So uh, I had a nutrition lecturer once who always said to me, "Listen, the best plan is fine, but if you can't execute it, it's it's useless, right?" Or maybe Mike Tyson's "Everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth" might be a different way of saying that, or or indeed the you know. No plan, no battle plan survives a first engagement might be another way for some people. Cool. No, thanks for that. Uh, another topic I wanted to discuss briefly was you mentioned uh, heat affecting what liquid you take on. Now, me being the dum-dum that I am only later on now in my short triathlon career, have I realized when it's hotter, I actually need an electrolyte drink and that benefits me as well. So electrolytes are, that's a different discussion again. So I'm talking pure <laughs> fluids. Electrolyte requirements are different again. Uh, sweat rates vary between people. Uh, the amount of electrolytes in those sweats vary between people. They Both of those things will also vary based on training and habitual diet and a few other things. So that's a super complex topic. Um, I know the guys at Precision uh, Fuel and Hydration are doing a lot on it. It's worthwhile checking that out. Andy Blow, their CEO, has been on a few... Uh, quite a few podcasts recently so worthwhile looking him up and having listened to some of that um, we're probably going to get those people on our pod at some point to talk about the interaction of this sort of stuff so I won't do it any injustice uh, for the risk of Andy telling me to to, uh, to get stuff when we ask him to come <laughs> on so I might leave that one to him but um, you definitely look electrolytes are probably more of a concern as you go longer in short events, hydration, most things can be tolerated for a short period of time, but as you go longer, it's more important. Um, one of the risks with drinking, especially a lot of drinking, is that um, you can have 
too much water for the level of sodium in your body. All right, so the level of salt, uh, which is one of your primary electrolytes. This is, a, this is something called hypo, H-Y-P-O, so low natremia, which refers to salt in the blood. So this can be caused by a number of things, but it's generally not a low salt intake. It's generally too much fluid for that salt. And so uh, this is a serious risk. You can get swelling of the brain. People have died from this. So people die from hyponatremia more than they die from uh, dehydration in endurance events. Oh, wow. So, Really? Yeah. Wow. This, yeah. There's some interesting research on the comrades actually in your, your neck of the woods and um, some pretty well publicized science by uh, a scientist from your neck of the woods, a guy called Tim Noakes, if you know him. He wrote The Law of Running among some other things. So he's a sports doctor, a uh, scientist. So, yeah. And then um, does nutrition differ between sports? If you were to take, let's say, trail running versus triathlon versus CrossFit, how do you prepare differently for that? Let's take culture out of that, right? Because those sports are fundamentally impacted significantly by the cultures that they exist within. So let's let's pretend that that doesn't exist because that's not really where the science lies. Let's start then talking about how you would design those. And I think primarily the way things will differ is to do with duration, intensity, and then logistics. So cycling, pretty much do what you want in terms of logistics because you've got bottles, you've got pockets, you've got all that stuff. Whereas... And similarly for trail running to some extent, you've got all sorts of stuff, whereas marathoning might be different, right? CrossFit, again, the question is always how long is it? So they don't have particularly long events. And when I'm saying that, some of them would laugh at me and go like, hey, we go for half an hour. Like, yeah, I'm talking multiple hours here. So as I said to you, most things can be tolerated for a brief period. And when I'm talking brief, I'm talking probably up to an hour. Um, you're, if you're not taking anything at all in an hour, you might end up being, you might be better off with a gel or two in an hour and and you know optimal nutrition would definitely be that but um you know for most of crossfit they won't take too much during they'll do stuff between and try and really optimize around that and the crossfit games start in a couple of days so that'll be cool to uh to listen at the time of recording here so it'll be well gone by the time this is out but you know they have multiple sessions a day so really for them it's about what do they eat at night what do they eat in the morning and then trying to get it as much between sessions and their between sessions is kind of more akin to what we are talking about during, say, a long run, which would be simple carbohydrates, maybe some protein, something like that, because they need to just recover, ready to go again. And remembering there's a huge difference between adapting and optimizing. So being optimized means you're perfectly recovered or you're trying to do that. So they're going to ice bath to optimize. Whereas adapting, if it was a training thing, you wouldn't be ice bathing. Or you, you may not want necessarily protein in some situations or as much carbohydrate, right? So if you're trying to optimize, you need the carbohydrate because they're going again to compete for the, you know, for money. Whereas if you're doing multiple sessions a day as they normally do, some of those might be with lower glycogen stores or not refueling as much because they're trying to adapt to that stimulus. So, right? that's, like so a, that. that's like a fasting ride, for example, where you're exactly. training a fasted state. Exactly. So there's this adapting versus optimizing delineation that you need to consider, but that's a slight digression. But so, as I said, duration intensity are the primary drivers here. Intensity is going to drive carbohydrate need to some extent. But then this is, it's really not as much about intensity alone, but the interaction with duration. So there's this mix, right? Super high intensity means you can't go very long, right? No one needs carbohydrates for a 100-meter sprint or even an 800, an 800 because... Yeah, that you don't have enough time to even take them, let alone you know burn enough there. So those are not the right limiters. But then as you go longer, right? If we talk super long duration, let's talk twenty four hours. 
then yes, you do need carbohydrates, but because it's so long, your intensity is so low, your carbohydrate needs change. And as you go longer, then you start to talk about things like, yeah, do I need to eat solids? Do I need to have some fat or protein? Because I'm going to feel better doing that because it's not so sickly sweet. And you start to get more to a real food approach. So I'd say it's less about the sport uh, in terms of needs rather than culture, right? So it's less about the sport and more about duration and intensity and what that looks like for you. So um, the other consideration here, and I won't touch on it too much, is caffeine and where to have this. Uh, There was actually a really good podcast on caffeine, uh, Andy Blow from Precision Fuel and Hydration on uh, that triathlon show recently. So worthwhile going to listen there uh, to to Michael and Andy's chat there. It was a really good podcast. Andy broke this down really well, so I won't do any injustice here either. How could you use Super Sapiens in in this process? Is it about comparing products, seeing what works better for you? That's one of the first things I wanted to do when I started using Super Sapiens is I want to test this product versus that product. These guys are claiming this. These guys are claiming that. Like, let's see, let's see who's doing what and, and how it works. So I'd encourage people to do that, especially if you're talking about trying something new is let's do some citizen science, some N of one science for myself. And I'm going to do the same workout multiple times and test these products in a random order. And I would say you need more than one test per product. I would say you probably need two to four tests per product at a relatively similar, on a relatively similar, if not the same training session. So I did basically five or six weeks in a row, same run, same roughly time of the day, you know, trying to control as many variables as possible, but I can't control for weather. I don't, I didn't want to control for every factor, but enough factors that I was comfortable with it and then using them in a random order to start to see big patterns between them and try to eliminate some of the noise and start to see some of the signal through that. And I definitely could. One of the products held me a lot more stable. I felt better during it as well because it's not just about the glucose trace. It's how did you feel? How did you perform? I definitely felt less fluctuations in energy. I was you know, happier finishing the runs, that sort of stuff. So uh, making sure that you're keeping dosing pretty consistent as well. So if you're using fluid products, it's you know, how often are you having a sip? How big is that sip? If you're using something like a gels, okay, yeah, that's a little bit easier. Just, you know, how often are you having? But be careful as well because not all products are the same. Some gels are 25 grams, some gels are 30 grams, some gels are more. So most of them are somewhere between 20 and 35 grams though. Uh, That's a pretty good sort of gel size to dose appropriately across an hour. Yeah, actually, uh, on the previous podcast, we did one of the previous ones we did, we had Rachel Nalen as a guest and she was talking about, you know, how Super Sapiens has helped her change her mindset. And one of the things was her, instead of crawling home at, you know, 150 watts of power because she didn't eat enough towards the end of her session, she would eat and then, you know, ride home comfortably at 200 watts and get home not in a bonked or or tired state and then recover quicker for that next session the next day. 100%. And that's sort of related to that adapting versus optimizing thing but also about your ability to what's your training goal and this is exactly her point was what's your training goal and you know what else is the training that's coming so if you need to ride again tomorrow then being super depleted is probably not helpful so any eating you're doing in a training session is probably pre-fueling or at least reducing the need to fuel to refuel and, and fuel for the next day but other ways you can use super sapiens i'd say you can really evaluate races and how did my race nutrition go because ultimately let's be honest you can devise the best plan but it, it's all about how it functions in race day on race day so looking at races and how you um, performed as a result of that is is a key factor there which is how to perform how's my stability how's my energy levels where did i feel like i was good bad or indifferent um, 
So make sure that you're starting to evaluate that. And probably the dashboard is the best thing to use for that. You can look back, you can, you know, if you've got a premium training peaks account, they integrate. So you can look at those factors as well. And we've got, a, you know, I, I hinted at this before talking about, uh, you know, previous podcast about your glucose score. We've got a little bit of uh, stuff in the works that will come out soon um, that pertains to how we give feedback around this and how perhaps your feeling strategy is should be evaluated. So, so we're going to help with that a little bit as well. But probably big things when you're evaluating nutrition strategies, if we're talking about, you know, using the glucose score is obviously what is your glucose score? Uh, I would say looking at that score, the slope during it, uh, and then trying to keep that relatively flat or definitely not negative uh consider your drops and where they were and what what, you know did they have context for that drop so was there a drop when they was rolling over a hill for instance or something like that it may not be as relevant as or if intensity changed compared to hey i actually had a drop when i when i needed more glucose when i was going up a hill that's a problem Uh, and then consider lows You, you really want to avoid these there's not a lot of reason you would want lows the caveat here being just understanding that we've set lows arbitrarily at 80 milligrams per deciliter and some people exist you know, at 85. So a low for them is not the same as a low for somebody who exists at 105, you know, at baseline. So just consider that context as well. Um, And then if you've really dialed in your GPZ and that's where you want to be, then that's helpful feedback as well. So I know marathoning, I perform and feel best 130 to 180. So that's where I want to keep my glucose during that marathon. Very different for a trail race. For a trail race, it's, you know, intensity is different. So, and so is duration. So my glucose will look different and it's not as relevant to use there. And then understanding that it's not all, you know, there's this no man walks to the same river twice. And some people at the company are saying, you know, no man walks to the same river of glucose twice. You change, the course is different, the, you know, temperature is different, the altitude is different, the travel is different. So, for instance, my uh, Rotterdam Marathon and Boston Marathon glucose, same fueling plans, similar carbohydrate loading, uh, you know, similar times. But uh, Boston had a bit of a couple more hills and, you know, glucose looked very different. So... Um, worthwhile noting that it's not always going to be identical. It's not going to be, oh, yep, I've nailed this. It's going to look like this every time. You'd be surprised what can change it. So uh, understanding all that. So talking about change, then how how do you know if you need to change your fueling plan? So the easy answers, uh, I'll start with them. So if you bonk, it's a real good indication you probably didn't do it right. Um, Or if you get GI upset. So, you know, you know you need to change your fueling plan from eating something random on race day to, to not doing that. Uh, because you did it so i've never done it in my life before uh just before we move on quick uh the bonking bonking refers obviously to hitting a a low and you feel like a car running out of fuel you know and you're struggling to get to the gas station yeah some people call it hitting the wall there's hunger flats there's a few terms for this there's a bunch we've actually talked to some of our country managers about this in different languages so i won't try and do all the languages justice is particularly not in in language but yeah, it's that feeling when you feel like you can't go, you feel empty, you feel like, oh, yeah, uh, I think uh, your countrymen might say you feel pop. Uh, so it's all that, uh, it's all those feelings. I think most people can understand it sort of conceptually. Um, so those, you know, the, those are the two extremes is I've either not had enough or perhaps I've gotten this wrong in terms of fuel hydration, those things, and I've got some GI upset as a result. Um they have different solutions, of course, one of which is, yeah, of course, you need more fuel if you've bonked. Uh, whereas with a GI upset, it's about, you know, can your gut tolerate it? What's changed? Is fluid, carbohydrate, electrolytes, are they correct? 
uh, for you? And then can your gut tolerate it given that temperature and do you need some more gut training? So the gut is very trainable. You can train it to absorb more carbohydrates, tolerate more volume. All these things are trainable, but you need to practice with that in similar climatic conditions. So I'd say that. Then I'd say you need to change your feeling plan, to be honest, per event to some extent. What I mean here is if you're doing events with different logistics around picking up fuel, for instance, if you're using some of the fuel on course, you need to consider that. You need to change it if they have different nutrition products, as we mentioned before, right? and you want to use them. You're going to need to change it. You know, a, a very relevant for me one is trail running is do I have the gel on the uphill on, at the top or on the downhill? What, what about timing? How does it all fit into it? So you need to understand those logistics as well to some extent and, and consider them. And then, uh, you know, the other one is you're going to have to trial these things, right? Uh, ultimately, it's about trialing it and then evaluating it with Super Sapiens, evaluating how you felt and performed and then dialing it in from there. So one way to trial it is racing. And, you know, that's ultimately, you know, if you get it wrong, you pay the ultimate cost. So what I'd say on the way to race day is, whether it's training simulation races, brick sessions, other things like that, you need to trial it, you know, at B races, all that sort of stuff. So I would be doing all of that um, because you don't want to get to race day with questions in your mind, you know, to give you an idea. I changed gels for Rotterdam Marathon in prep for that. I did a, and I was increasing my intake. So in a prep for that, I did a bunch of gut training with hot days here uh, over intake so excessive intake, I was taking like 106 grams an hour uh, compared to 75 on race day and just felt horrid. It was just so bad. But I knew then, yeah, 75 on race day with less fluid and not, you know, whether it's as hot or not, I'll be fine. I had no, there was no what, question in my mind of like, will I tolerate this? What were you feeling when you say horrid? Just a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms. I was just like, I felt really bloated and unwell. And then... I really wasn't hungry when I finished. I'm usually pretty hungry when I finish a run. Like I'm talking two and a half hours of running with marathon intensity in there. And I finished and was not hungry at all. My glucose shot through the roof. I just, it was really unpleasant. And I just sat and didn't eat for hours. I was kind of a bit nauseous afterwards and just thought, you know what, like that's unpleasant. So it wasn't terrible. I didn't have to run to the bushes. I didn't vomit. I didn't have any of those things. And I could still have the output, but I was... I would have been okay if I felt that bad in race, knowing that, okay, yeah, this is terrible, but but I'll be fine. It wasn't a sort of race ruining unwell, but it was it was not pleasant. It's not, not a fun Sunday morning, let's put it that way. And then we touched on it earlier a little bit, but how does your hydration plan then impact all of this? So we talked a little bit about it, as you said, and I think the big thing is how much do you need to drink and how are you taking your carbohydrates? Because so many carbohydrates are fluid-based. You know, if you talk to, you grab 100 endurance athletes at a, any race or across races, most of them will say most of their intake is fluid. Some of them will say it's, you know, some of it's gels and stuff as well. And those are fluids, but, but I'm talking more about liquid nutrition. I'm talking about whatever powder into a bottle, add some water. I'm talking about that stuff. So you need to consider the concentration of that uh, based on gastrointestinal symptoms, based on hydration needs, all of that. Um, and so you need to really consider that in context of what you're doing. So, uh, and then again, in context of climatic conditions for the day. So what's the climate gonna be through the day, altitude, temperature, all these things. What's, you know, are you a heavy sweater? Do you need a lot of fluids? And then have redundancy built into there as well. Do you need extra fluid or may you need extra fluid? Do you need extra carbohydrates? May you need extra carbohydrates? How do you plan for that? What's the redundancy there? Because that's really important is to have 
best case scenario? What if it goes wrong in one direction? What if it goes wrong in the other direction? And how am I going to navigate those things? How am I going to navigate if I can't take a gel because I've got gastrointestinal upset? Am I going to take it and deal? Or am I going to not take it and then risk bonking? What if I need more water? How do I? How am I going to deal with this, right? So in the Alps, in Marathon de Mont Blanc, I made a very specific choice not to take, not to fill a water bottle at one point. And in hindsight, I probably should have. And interestingly, some of my competitors I saw stopped at a local, at a stream from a glacier and grabbed some water, knowing that that stream was there. Uh, and again, they, they were confident that that was clean water, so that's fine. And, you know, it was very clearly clean water that it wasn't, there's was no way it was contaminated. But the point is, that's easy to do in, a, in the Alps, but it may not be so easy at, you know, some random other race. So you always need to consider what's on course and available, uh, be it natural or, you know, aid. And so, you know, this will never be a problem for people who are doing a big city marathon or the comrades or probably an Ironman because they have more than enough water stops. They've got them every couple of kilometers. And, um, yeah, so it probably won't be an issue there, but it's worth considering uh, those sort of factors as well. Man, I'm so disappointed in my last Ironman and my fueling strategy because I'll tell you why. I had between 60 and 80 grams of carbs an hour on the bike, and that was quite a lot for me. I, I trialed it in, in training and it was all good and on the bike. I wasn't feeling good on the bike in terms of legs, but I could just tell I was just a little undertrained. I, I missed a lot of b bike sessions due to travel, but my gut was all good. But then when we started running, I took a gel, a caffeine gel, and I took some um, crab tablets, some salt tablets that I'd never taken before because in races leading up to it, I'd cramped, you know, muscles have seized up and I was so worried about doing that on the marathon. And the moment I took it, like, I don't know, five minutes later, my stomach was so upset. And I was, I'll tell you why I'm disappointed in that, because I wasn't feeling on good on the bike, which is my strength. I've been a cyclist for 20 odd years. I've only really been running the last six years or so. But my marathon legs felt unbelievable on the run. And I would have just liked to go, go, go. and I, But I couldn't because my stomach was upset and I wanted to vomit all the time. So... Yeah, like I'll never know, but I wondered if fueling so much on the bike would have helped my run. Is that why my legs felt so good and it was just the salt tablet that, you know, set off an explosion in my stomach is the only way I could I could explain it, really. I may not be so bold as to say it was definitely the salt tablet only. There's probably <laughs> a few components to it. I mean, it's the, there's this concept of uh, uh, Occam's razor, from medicine, it's it's used in a lot of things, but it's definitely used in medicine, which is kind of the simplest answer is usually the right one. And so that, you know, using that, I would say, okay, it's probably the salt tablet, but you will definitely, if you can tolerate the carbohydrate intake, you will feel a little bit better, particularly in things like Ironman, you know, back end of a marathon by having higher carbohydrate intakes, if you can use it, right? If it sits there in your gut, because you can't absorb it, because your gut's not used to it, you're taking 110 grams, you've never trained with it, that's going to be a problem. That's going to cause gastrointestinal upset itself and it's not going to get in and, and work. So that's the sort of caveat there. But generally, you will feel a little bit better doing that. You're probably also, if you didn't feel great on the bike, you probably went riding so hard, so your legs are probably a bit fresher as well, to be honest. the You mentioned caffeine there. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say that can also upset gastrointestinal system in general if you're not used to caffeine, um, particularly some of the caffeine gels because it's quite a dose of caffeine, a lot of them. You know, some of the gels have got 100 milligrams of caffeine. That might be more than you're used to having. I'm, I mean, that I'm, was one I took. I did take 100, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, look, I, I use 
used to work in hospitals so you survive on bad jokes and and worse coffee so <laughs> I, I can tolerate a lot of caffeine so uh the caffeine's never really a big issue for me i probably have less caffeine on race day than i would uh some some bad work days but um definitely worthwhile considering that and i mentioned before the the podcast so uh, i would check that out and, and think about your caffeine intake habitually and, and with respect to race day and then the other one i wanted to mention was cramping and the causes of cramping uh so electrolytes can be one part of the cause but there's some other really interesting research around what causes cramping i think uh i'm not going to suggest this might have been you but this might have been you that there is a training component to it did you just say, before we carry on, did you just say electrolytes could be a cause for cramping? Yeah, they're one of the postulated causes. The, well, that, that research... That's a, I don't yeah. mean to cut you, but that's interesting because the bike, this particular Ironman I did, the bike started in pouring rain. It was miserable weather. It was cold. It wasn't hot by any stretch of the imagination. But I was so worried about cramping that I was drinking electrolytes on, on the bike. Not a lot, not excessive, but I was drinking electrolytes in the rain, you know, in addition to carbs and water as well. So it's, it's just interesting that you mentioned that. It's probably not that they drive it as much as too few electrolytes will cause it. So just to be really clear there for listeners that might be a bit confused. So it's not having enough electrolytes will probably do it or perhaps the wrong concentration between water and electrolytes. All right. Okay. So um, that research came out of a lot of it came out of the mining uh, where people are sweating a lot underground. Uh, some of that's been, you know, it's not a consistent mechanism. There's probably more than one way that cramps exist. And that's one of the ways. Some of the other research looks at, uh, training and so as I said I don't want to point at you for this but maybe I'm going to point at you a little bit for this is if you're not prepping specifically for what you're going to do be that the surface the shoes the whatever uh, the intensity those sort of things you may or, you know climatic conditions you might suffer cramp as a result so there's that component there and then there's a third component uh, or a third aspect which looks to be neurological or neuromuscular in nature which is to do with the signals from the brain to the muscles and i won't get too technical but this is why things like you'll hear pickle juice work it's not because of the salt it's because of the taste and it changes this uh neurological outflow to the body and so there's a lot of cramp solutions that are solves for cramping so i know pickle juice is one of them and there's a few cramping products based on this uh, that you can get there's also some people i know use mustard because it's a similar mechanism it's it's a similar set of receptors in the mouth i know the usa sevens team at one point were using you know american mustard in a very patriotic way um so these things exist uh, as potential solutions so if you're prone to cramping you may decide i think i've got my nutrition correct and i'm going to be fine today and i've done enough training but here's a backup plan i'm going to carry this so that might be uh, what you decide to do for the next uh, the next one. Yeah, I've struggled with cramp all my life, basically. You know, I used to play soccer as a kid and then started cycling and I used to cramp there. And always people used to tell me, eat a banana, eat a banana. And ex-professional triathlete James Kahneman was the only one who was honest with me and said, yo, you're cramping because you haven't trained enough. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'd agree with you, James. Um but no, thank you. That is uh, very interesting, David, and very uh, educational. If that, uh, if you have nothing else to add, I think we can pretty much leave it there. I think just in summary is it's, you know, start from the science, build your plan, test it, evaluate it, look at it on the dashboard, go to the race day, execute it, and then evaluate again, and then iterate from there. It's going to be an iterative process. You're going to change 
your glucose will change, your body will change. That's part of why we train. We train to change things. And you know, one of the big adaptations we get with training ages is better fat oxidation capacity that changes your glucose. You know, fat and glucose intimately related. So understand those things. Understand that it's going to be hard, but and, and to dial in, but it's going to be worth it. And it's going to, you know, when you nail that race day, I can tell you it feels feels unreal when you're feeling right. So uh, yeah, good luck with it. Yeah, it's about trial and error. And that's why I've just loved using Super Sapiens and having that visibility to be able to actually see how your glucose is responding and how it reacts to different trial and error situations that you're trying out. Love having that uh, visibility from from continuous glucose monitoring. Thank you for your time, David. Uh, this is very interesting, as I said. And yeah, if you would like us to touch on more of these kind of topics, please send them our way. Super Sapiens email address is david at supersapiens.com. It's a very precious, famous email address and a very smart guy will answer your emails over there and slip those topics into the Super Sapiens podcast. Also, join us on the Super Sapiens Discord channel. We are hanging out over Discord. Download the app, create a login and chat to us over there. Um, we have future episodes coming up. We'll be talking to more of our athletes, achieving very cool things. And then we'll also be bringing on our science team to touch more on these topics. So please tell us what you'd like to hear. We are here to help you become your best. Definitely uh, send us feedback on this episode as we, you know, you can tell it's a bit different to normal. So tell us if you like it, tell us if you don't like it, tell us other questions you have. Very open to feedback and appreciate that. So uh, thanks for your time today, Zylan. Thanks for the questions. They were good. They were fun. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you. And like, share, subscribe. Keep us in a job for longer. <laughs>